How I Got Here, the inside stories of startups and innovation in travel and transportation with your hosts, FocusWire's Kevin May and Mozio's David Litwack. Hello, everyone, and welcome to How I Got Here, Mozio and FocusWire's weekly podcast about innovators in travel and transportation. Today, we're joined by Alex of Flyer. Flyer was founded in 2013 by Alex and his co-founders, Cyril and Jean, and they forecast future fair volatility through complex data analysis, helping you to build tools to extract signal from a world of noise. And I, I read that direct because uh, it was a little hard for me to construct a, um, an explanation of my own, which is why Alex is on this podcast to help us clarify that a little bit. Um, but we like to start off every podcast the same way, Alex, which is to say, first of all, welcome, but then to ask you to explain uh, all everything that uh, led to you, how you got here, I guess, is in a nutshell. Definitely. So in a nutshell, um, quick background, I moved to Silicon Valley about seven years ago, uh, born and raised in the Netherlands, and I've always been a, a major aviation fan, lover, and geek. And um, I've always, as I travel, as all of us have, um, seen the inefficiency and volatility in airline pricing. So originally, um, when the company was founded, we tried to basically arbitrage that volatility by forecasting the price of airline tickets and then using that knowledge to help consumers save money. We initially built a set of products that would allow consumers to buy an option on the flight or to effectively short the flight by uh, giving them a discount now based on knowing that the price would go down in the future. Um, we distributed those products to sites like TripAdvisor, Priceline, Kayak, and others. Um, but it was very, very hard to get mass distribution because consumer uh, airline ticket sales is very low margin, it's very highly competitive, and it is not a major priority to most of the players um, in that OTA and meta space. So what we did about three years ago, uh, as we got closer to a number of airlines, we realized that there was a huge opportunity in the enterprise airline revenue management space. So we pivoted to business and we took that technology and started applying it for the airlines instead of uh, trying to arbitrage the airlines. So what we do today, um, we're about 80 people and we integrate all of an airline's data. We use a bunch of deep learning on top of that to then forecast the outcomes, both in terms of revenue and load factor, but also the strategy that will maximize revenue um, by the time the aircraft takes off. And what's very relevant right now, given the COVID-19 situation, is that airlines are managing their business on the back of a napkin because any and all traditional forecasting methodologies based on this year versus last year are out the window and context is key. Right? As there's a very volatile climate, you need to use all this data to understand the context and forecast what is going to happen and what decisions to make. And that's exactly what we do at Flyer, uh, working with the major airlines in the US, Middle East, Europe, um, and Asia, and to help them make the right decisions using their data. Hi, Alex, it's, uh, it's Kev here. Thanks ever so much for coming on the, on the podcast this week. And take us back a little bit. How did you come up with the idea, the original, original idea, and how did you meet your founders? Yeah, so originally, um, like again, like I traveled a lot. I've been traveling since I was quite, quite young. Um, and when booking airline tickets, right, prices are all over the place. There's price competition between carriers. Um, prices are... In some markets, very reactive, and other markets, not reactive at all. And I wanted to find out why is it that there is so much volatility to pricing 
And once I found out that there was actually a logic to that volatility tied to demand or events or competition, I realized that it should be possible to forecast what those prices will do in the future. Having done more research on that, um, uh, found out about you know the the, the fair cast initiatives about 10, 15 years ago, and yeah, yeah. Um, and I realized that okay, well, if we want to build a business out of this, we have to do more than just tell the consumer whether the price will go up or down. We have to try and you know automate and productize this because you can't really charge for a buyer weight recommendation. So, which is one of the reasons why Faircast in the end didn't build a viable product; they built a feature, right? Um, so we built, we took these forecasts and we turned it into a product where we made it as simple um, as possible for the consumer. If you see a flight on Priceline or TripAdvisor. That was just a second button that said, click here to lock this price. And all we need from you is your email address and your credit card info, and we'll guarantee you today's price. So that's basically how simple we made it and how we abstracted these forecasts into a physical product, um, leaving only the distribution at scale, of course, to be the challenge for me. And, and so, the founder's question, how did you meet your, your yeah. founders? So I moved to Silicon Valley about seven years ago. Um, I spent about uh, three months in an acceleration program in the Valley, trying to get, to get get my bearings, understand how things work here, build a bit of a network. Uh, about six or nine months later, uh, after the founding of the company, uh, I met John and Cyril. They joined the business, um, and uh, we've been building out uh, the business ever since. Cyril left the company uh, after we pivoted from consumer to enterprise. He had more of a marketing background, consumer marketing background. Um, uh, and Jean left the business more recently. Uh, he's still on the yeah. Yeah, so what I found interesting was what you kind of said, you started consumer and on the arbitrage side. I w I'd love to delve a little bit more into why, why you guys decided to make that pivot because uh, my first initial impression is exactly kind of, I think, the conclusion you came to, which is that you are trying to um, figure out where the pricing is inaccurate so you can arbitrage it, but there's entire teams of people at these airlines who are trying to figure out how to make it as accurate as possible, right? And like, it sounds like you eventually made the transition to helping them do that, right? But I'm curious, why did you, like, what was your thought process behind why, like, what the business opportunity was there? Did you think, you, was it as simple as you thought you could outsmart the airlines? Or, uh, you know, what, what, was, what was that thought process? I think you lost David there. I think you're right. Can you guys hear me? That's not good. Yeah, we lost you for a moment there, David. Do you want to uh, repeat the question? Start off from the beginning. We'll just edit this out. It's fine. Cool. Um, yeah. In short, it seems like you guys, you know, when you transitioned from a consumer and, uh, and doing the arbitrage play to helping airlines with the revenue management, at some point you guys thought you could beat the airlines at their own game. Right, you thought that okay, well, we can figure out and do this in more intelligently than the airlines. Hence, the arbitrage opportunity. What was your thought process behind that, and and when did you realize either you were wrong or it just wasn't worth it? I'd love to hear about that pivot. Yeah, so I, I, you broke up again a little bit, but I'm going to fill in the the pieces as best as I can. So, like I mentioned before, like. The product that we had uh, that allowed consumers to lock the price of an airline ticket or uh, get a discount today by basically arbitraging today's price versus tomorrow's price, um, that product worked quite well. It was very easy. Consumers loved it. The challenge in consumer, especially airline travel, is that if you're a distributor, an OTA or a meta, 
um, there is very little margin in that game, right? Really, people are selling airline tickets in order to then sell you the hotel, right? Or some other higher margin product. Um, the, the reality about like, like our challenges were while we were able to get distribution, we never could get enough distribution fast enough. Yeah. So we grew the business quite a bit um, uh, on the consumer products, but it's very, very hard to get that distribution. And the technology we build was very, very good at forecasting the future and forecasting demand and forecasting volatility. So as airlines learned more and more about what we were doing, airlines uh, actually came to us asking about, can you use your technology to help us um, kind of level up our very traditional, very old school methodologies of forecasting that we deploy today? So yeah. I would say it was a mix of um, a very challenging climate in consumer travel distribution, right? Especially in air, mixed with airlines uh, understanding what we were doing, or hearing about what we were doing, and asking us to come in and help them basically develop or establish the next generation of revenue management solutions. Did you, were you surprised by how difficult the task was being a consumer facing brand quite quickly after you launched or was it something that you realized so, over time? So I, I think, and I think any travel entrepreneur will be able to tell you this, but um, in travel, it is the easy part is building the product, even building yeah. a differentiated product. That's the easy part. The hard part is one, getting distribution, and two, getting a distribution at scale, and three, getting a distribution cheaply, right? And that, that's always the challenge when you deal with consumer travel, whether you sell flights, a little bit less with hotels because the margins are much, much higher there. So less with Airbnb, of course, because they have uh, proprietary inventory. So the ones that tend to win in consumer travel are the ones that have an incredible distribution mechanism at a very low cost or extreme scale distribution, or the ones that have inventory that has high margin or is unique to them, right? And, and the challenge is, is that when you resell somebody else's product, whether it's an airline ticket or whether it is a derivative on the airline ticket, like us, um, like what we were doing, um, you will find yourself that like yeah, you need to solve all those three boxes, right? And check all those three boxes. And that's just very, very, very difficult. Um, and especially when you rely on OTAs and metas to distribute your products, you are beholden to their speed of integration and their timeline and their roadmap. And yeah. if I put myself in the shoes of, you know, the Expedias of the world, the reality is, is that they mostly optimize based on where revenue growth exists, right? And that yeah. tends to be, in improving hotels or adding activities or doing packaging or doing that kind of stuff and or ancillary and and that 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 results that it, like you cannot build a startup and scale the startup if you have to sit around and wait to end up at a you know top five position on the roadmap of a large OTA or meta right so uh, another kind of related question so there was the marketing element of it in terms of the connectivity you know, just getting into airlines or whatever, just, you know, back-end distribution you were getting, where you were getting your inventory from. Was there any of that? Because this is your first, this was your first kind of role in travel. Was any of that either confusing or surprising or a, a nasty mixture of the pair? Yeah, so so I, I didn't do anything in travel tech before, um, but, uh, and, and learning how the GDS distribution world works, that is something you can pick up fairly quickly, right? It's fairly well documented. It's been around literally for 35 plus years, right? So it's not like it's, it's something brand new. Um, 
So you, you very quickly learn about the Amadeus, Saber, travel ports of the world, yeah. right? So that, getting up to speed there is rather quick. Um, I think the, the thing that most entrepreneurs in travel underestimate is um, there's a huge gap between people's interest to build a travel business specifically when it comes to flights and their understanding of how much money is in it. Right. And, right. and I think, and, and, and I think that that's the piece you'll learn rather quickly. And I think most travel startups that get into the space of selling flights or selling similar flight related products will be able to build a product, will be able to ship that product, but then very quickly find out those challenges of the distribution and the scale and the cost of it and the margins that go with it. So that, that took some time, like I would say a year to really understand what those margins and those cost profiles look like. Um, and, but that's also why we quickly, like within six months after starting the company, we pivoted it from direct to consumer to distribute our products to OTAs and us, right? Which really got us to grow the business. But then we hit the next challenge, which is getting enough distribution through these third parties by becoming a priority to them. Right. If I can, okay. Yeah, if I could quickly restate that. So it seems kind of like transformation number one was, okay, let's go to the OTAs, but there was a big additional transformation when you realize, well, OTAs are only marginally interested in, in flights because it's kind of the lead gen for their hotels. So cool, like they might work with you, but you're priority number 10, really. And then you realize, well, who's priority number one for airline, uh, airline pricing? It's airlines. And you basically moved into airline IT. Is that a correct you know, kind of understanding of that? Yeah, I would be careful saying airline IT because airline IT today still means mainframes in the basement and, uh, and, and, and a code base that, that has existed for 20 years. Right, so I'll be careful there. Like I, I would, I would call it airline enterprise SaaS. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, like, like it's, it's, yeah. It, it's, yeah. So that that's a big opportunity. Airlines uh, are surprisingly bad at accessing, transforming, and keeping their data in a structured manner. They're surprisingly bad at utilizing solutions like the cloud. They are years behind on anything that's even close to machine learning. Right. Um, uh, and then on top of that, they tend to be stuck in operational and thought processes that you know have been the same for 20 years. So it's very, very hard for an airline to truly transform and kind of move into a new direction. And that's the opportunity that we saw and are trying to um, uh, to execute on. Now, to, um, on that on that kind of subject, Alex. I mean, are there? I'm presuming there are some airlines that are slightly more advanced than others. Um, It'd be great if you did name names, but completely understandable if you don't. Those that are slightly more advanced than others, why is that? Is it because they've grasped digitalization of their kind of business a lot quicker than others because they see it as a business opportunity or a technical opportunity? Well, so I, I think when it comes to air, like airlines are more advanced in different areas. So not every airline is advanced in every area. An airline that is advanced in its ability to do more dynamic pricing might not be very advanced in the way it does network planning, right? Or an airline yeah. that is very advanced in packaging and vacation type products might not be very advanced in the, the reservation system it uses behind the scenes, right? So it's, it's really a mix. And, and no, I, I don't think any airline is truly you know, advanced across all of these, all of these axes. Um, when it comes to the area that we focus on, which is the... the Kind of the data piece and the business intelligence and revenue management side the reality is is that in this space there are only say call three or four perhaps five vendors that are actively in the revenue management space for airlines three of those saver amadeus and pros we all know um, uh, have the majority of the market share 
Um, they've been around for a long time. And if you look at their distribution, they are really distributed across geographies and airline types, right? You have the low costers, you have North America, Europe, and Asia, roughly how the, how the, how the cut is made. And um, the, 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 what they provide is effectively the same, right? Obviously, a low-cost carrier is more focused on a point-to-point network. A full-service network carrier uh, is very different from a full-service like, kind of domestic carrier. So like that, there's a lot of like differences and a lot of different needs, but none of these needs like have been answered with a with a new type of solution in, in 20 years. Um, and and so like, again, like when it comes to like how advanced an airline is, it is like it is really more about the business processes they run than about the tools they use because everybody uses the same tools. The only airlines that build their own in-house solutions really are you know United, Delta, Lufthansa Group to some extent. Um, yeah. But everybody else uses the same underlying foundation. Yeah. Okay. So I wanted to see if you can go a little more in depth on the machine learning part of what you're doing now. Obviously, I'm not expecting you to tell us, you know, yeah. uh, your various Bayesian algorithms or something like that. But um, I also think, you know, being another Silicon Valley well, startup. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Well, being a Silicon in Silicon Valley for seven years as I was, you hear the term machine learning and AI thrown around quite liberally. Um, and it's at the point where it's almost eye rolling worthy. Uh, and I'd love to kind of just, you know, hear a little bit about how, what exactly you're doing and maybe in as layman terms as you can get. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think the first thing to realize is that there's a lot of AI and ML being thrown out there, especially also in the airline IT, airline enterprise space. Um, the reality though is that, um, your typical airline IT vendor only has access to the data that sits in the existing system of the airline or the system they provide. So if I'm the provider of the reservation system, I might have easy access to the schedule and the inventory and the bookings, but I don't have access to a ton of other data, right? Marketing, uh, market share snapshots, um, perhaps fares, competitive schedules, competitive pricing, uh, search analytics, distribution information about the GDS or, or, or direct distribution. So the first step, if you want to do machine learning or AI well, is making sure that you have a consistent, reliable store of the data, right? So the very first thing we did, and which seems to be something that others have skipped, is we've built a very, very extensive data platform that is 100% focused and optimized for what you typically encounter with an airline. And we've built what we call a canonical data format that is common across all of our customers. Right? So whether you're a full service carrier with connecting flights or a low cost carrier that is point to point, the way we basically structure that data, whether it's the schedule or the inventory or the fares or the bookings, is the same across. So we've invested a lot of time and money um, uh, into building a data platform. Now having an incredible data platform with tons and tons of data, both from the airline's reservation system and external sources and marketing tools the airline uses and merchandising tools the airline uses, having all that data in a consistent standardized manner now allows us to really work with it. Now, when it comes to the AI side, um, we very much rely on deep learning. Um, and the reasoning there is simple, um, especially larger airlines have operate in a very complex context, right? Like you, you, you change your pricing and demand changes based on your price, based on the competitor, based on your schedule, based on connections, based on weather, based on events, like there's so much context, right? 
And historically, the way an airline has managed its pricing is basically they have a curve as to how they expect bookings and load factor to evolve. If they're ahead of the curve, they raise prices. If they're behind the curve, they lower prices. It's kind of a pendulum they try to stick to, right? Um, now, especially if you look at COVID-19, like before and especially now, these forecast curves are useless. They're utterly inaccurate and they're pretty useless, right? Because they don't consider all the context. So, and they rely on the analysts really to be making adjustments and moving levers all the time. Now, what we do, and the reason why we use deep learning is we can feed all this data. So all these data sources that are not even being considered today and often not considered by the analyst, we can feed them into a deep learning algorithm or a set of algorithms. And what these algorithms do is they basically try and understand and correlate, to simplify it, um, all these different factors in order to come up with um, uh, uh, a forecast. A forecast of final revenue for a flight, a forecast for load factor, or more importantly, um, a forecast as to what pricing strategy to follow in order to maximize revenue, right? given context. And the reason why we haven't lost a single customer because of COVID and why our customers are doubling down in times like these on, on solutions like ours is because of context. Context has changed like never before. Competitors, schedules, demand, capacity, the equipment times, everything has changed. And the beauty of deep learning is because it has the ability to correlate such an incredible large amount of data and understand logic and, and, and relationships um, you have the ability to, even while data is very sparse, or even while the context has changed, you have the ability to make intelligent, informed decisions based on all the data out there over the last three, four years, and what you're seeing right now. And that's a place where we outperform, or where our deep learning-based methodologies outperform whatever has been out there and is out there before. Like airlines are literally managing their business on the back of a napkin right now. Most of the revenue management systems at airlines are turned off. Analysts are manually setting the prices or manually managing the inventory against prices. That's literally what we're looking at right now. And that's going to be true for at least 12 to 24 months. So you mentioned COVID and I was on a call with a fairly well-known angel investor named Elad Gill uh, yesterday who was talking about uh, the t different types of companies that are you know, either benefiting from COVID have to last through COVID, i.e., you know, we will travel again, but like we're gonna need to get through this next year. Um, and others that like, you know, might get a boost from it, but then it'll quickly fall off, uh, you know, once we get past this. Um, are you guys cleaning up now <laughs> and, uh, when it comes to new clients? And, and do you think this is, you know, potentially a transformative moment in, in, in how airlines view uh, yeah. their, their revenue management going forward? Or do you think that maybe once coronavirus ends, they'll just go, ah, our, our systems worked well enough before this, screw it. Yeah, so I, I think um, we as a company, as Flyer, in this space, we have an opportunity to leapfrog what is out there like never before. Like, in every air, like many airlines we work with happen to be the airlines that are already quite thinking and the reason why they work with us before COVID is because they realize they need something better going forward, right either because their strategy or their networks or their competition profiles are changing and they need to keep up right now even the airlines what's interesting is even the airlines that pre before thought they were fine and the solutions they had suited them fine are now reaching back out and saying hey you know this whole contextual forecasting and this deep learning and using our data you know we might want to take a look 
So the reality for us as a business right now is that not only are our existing customers fully on board and accelerating or wanting to accelerate the rollouts that we're doing with them, we have a long list of customers reaching out to us simply because they, they're looking for new solutions and they're not getting it from their existing vendors. Impressive. I, I'm uh, <laughs> happy that at least one travel company is benefiting uh, from all this. So, you know, the rest of us are uh, <laughs> having a, quite a hard time going forward. So, um, yeah, sorry, you just say something, Alex? Yeah, no, no. I, I, j just to be clear, obviously, like if you are in a business model where you are reliant on, where your revenue is reliant on passenger counts, right? Obviously, there's an impact for everyone even an enterprise SaaS business of ours. But for us, we're really looking at this as we, we have the opportunity during COVID-19 to work closer with our customers and allocate every single resource we have in the company to building out our product to, to come out of this stronger. Combine that with the fact that we have a lot of inbound uh, uh, requests from customers once we knew and once we didn't know, again, like we see this as a leapfrog opportunity for 2021. And beyond, of course. Alex, I'm, I'm quite interested in your um, your investment, your fundraising strategy, and that kind of uh, timeline of that over the years. Um, you raised, and forgive me if Crunchbase is uh, off base today, but uh, it was, <laughs> it's one and a half million in uh, 2014, which is not long after you launched. I mean, that was when you were a consumer-facing one. I'm just curious because we've talked quite extensively about that period when you were a consumer facing yeah. brand. What was the kind of the, what was the pitch at that stage to get that kind of money? Was, were you saying, okay, we're going to invest in the tech with this money or is it because marketing and distribution is so important and as a consumer facing well, one that so, that was where the money was going to go? Yeah. So I think the, the, at the seed stage, right. When we were, and I think there's a funny story to tell here and that is, um, and I have to like, you, you will see this on Crunchbase as well, but JetBlue Technology Ventures is an investor in our business. Um, and that's actually just funny anecdotal story where we were in a, in a very small loft on Roush Street in San Francisco, and we were literally across from where Airbnb was founded. Same street, building was across from us. And I remember that one day, uh, Bonnie from JTV uh, visited our offices. This was even before JTV was founded. And we explained what we were doing and we were doing the consumer stuff and we explained that, hey, you know, like we've built this proprietary product that is independently from the airline able to create value, right, through options and on airline tickets. And by themselves, that was an interesting proposition and it was a differentiated product. It had a, a, a per unit cost and economics that was attractive, right? Forget the distribution for a second. So that's really how we raised that money. But back then, to go back to the anecdote, like Bonnie came in and said, listen, I like this. I like this product and I can see airlines and OTAs alike wanting to sell it. But like, what if we apply this to airlines? And this is two years before we even started pivoting to yeah. enterprise pricing. And um, so yeah, so to answer your question, uh, we, we raised our initial uh, fundraisers based on having a differentiated product that was extremely simple for the consumer, had a good unit economics, um, uh, um, and this was all prior to finding out how difficult getting scale distribution was. Yeah, and, and more recently, you've you know, you've raised almost twenty million over the last two or three years. I mean, that, that's presumably because the investors have seen the value in the business to business uh, side of the of the of the company since you pivoted. I mean, there are others in the not specifically doing what you're doing, but there has been a a clutch of 
airline software companies startups that have come along in the last couple of years and it's mm-hmm. almost yeah it's almost like a breath of fresh air for b2b travel yeah. tech startups that there is that money kind of coming into the into the ideas now well i, I think there there is a there are some differences in in, in who's coming into that space i think yeah before covid airlines were very intent on digitally transforming right so every airline had a digital transformation program and like some caos yeah. you know fancy project and, um, and, and, and this was mostly driven by the fact that, you know, everybody in the C-suite of an airline is very aware of like, the existence of machine learning and the existence of big data and the existence of the cloud, right? And airlines tend to not use their solutions. So I think the digital transformation was very much driven by seeing other industries quickly adopt these technologies and gaining benefits from it, where airlines not adopting them and not gaining benefit, instead doing the same thing over and over again. So those digital transformation programs drove a whole wave of like airlines buying and bringing in new technologies and startups. Um, I think what you're looking at now with COVID and post COVID is airlines are trying to figure out how to restructure their own organizations to be more capable and nimble. Um, and more in some cases to develop their technologies in house. I've seen airlines start data science teams and data teams and right. So you're seeing kind of a shift in, Let's bring in startups to how do we establish ourselves to be more consistently innovating going forward. Um, and I, I, yeah, and it depends on what area you're in. I think there's going to be a heavy, heavy investment in ancillary type services going forward. Um, I think you're, you're going to see a reduction in investment on anything that is in the long tail, right? Like anything that is a long tail, you know, 0.1, 0.2% margin ad is going to be lower priority. Right. Um, and there's many startups in that space. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, but I think if you're in the, in the business intelligence, revenue management, ancillary merchandising distribution space, I think there's a big opportunity as airlines try and maximize their revenue and reduce their cost. Quick follow that is, what do you think will be in-house and what do you think will be out-house? You just mentioned that some people are bringing their data teams in-house. Um, I think something that's important, Mozio has noticed this, uh, we have actually had a surge of new business interest as well for our ground transportation tech because um, a ton of people who thought they might want to build this themselves have now gone, oh, well, we don't have the, the time to do that. Sure, we'll use you now. Um, yeah. And you know, but that was something that we were actually surprised at, you know, in the founding of our company is like a shocking number of people kind of wanted to have some something in house. We kind of thought, ah, it's probably not worth it. Like, do you think that, you know, this will potentially backfire? People go, oh, yeah, you're right. This is important. We want to build it. I think it depends. Like, I, I can imagine if you're in like a ground transportation space, like Mozio is, um, like there is one component that is difficult for airlines, and that is like the supplier relationships and the connectivity into them. Right? There's a reason why GDSs and OTAs and Metas are still around and growing in most cases, and that is because there's a huge overhead involved with trying to aggregate information from many different places. Right? So I think. It is one thing for an airline to, to establish and want to use a better data infrastructure. It's a whole different thing for an airline to, um, to now build solutions and products that are not just you know, dependent on their in-house reservation system, but also require them to negotiate and establish connections with external vendors and solutions. And so I think, um, like I think, I think it's a bit of a difference. I think airlines want to be able to use tools like Tableau or Spotfire or Power BI right so you'll see airlines take out a lot of licenses to tools like that and 
and trying to build up a data warehouse to some extent. Um, that's definitely something you're seeing. But I think that that's the type of investment that airlines are making. I don't think airlines are going to be investing heavily in building their own in-house merchandising engines or distribution platforms or like, like that, 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 that's too risky and too big of a bet, I think, for airlines to take at this time. Yeah. And uh, Alex, I mean, you, you drew our attention to it at the beginning there. There were three of you originally as co-founders. It would be, uh, uh, you kind of referenced why uh, one of them left when you pivoted because there was no need for marketing anymore. Um, it would be remiss of us not to ask you, uh, you've had one leave quite recently. So what's been the strategy around the kind of the management of the company and you obviously now find yourself at the top of it. Well, so, so, so I'll, 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 I think a few things are important to say. So like when, I'm, when I moved to Silicon Valley six, seven years ago, right? I, didn't, I had never done business in the US. I didn't know how Silicon Valley works um, or any of that, right? And Jean coming in as, uh, as my co-founder early on was one of the best learning experiences ever. I've learned so much from Jean about how to run a company and not to run a company, how to deal with operations, uh, how to deal with business negotiations, you name it, right? Um, so I think I want to I put that first and foremost. Um, second, like we've spent six years trying to build this business, right? Um, I think after six years, um, especially given COVID right now, we need to position the company in a way where, where we can not only survive COVID but come out stronger. And we all jointly took a decision where given the fact that I spend a lot of time with our customers, I typically spend two or three weeks on the road. I've done that for the last three years, building relationships with them, trying to understand what they want and what they need. Um, we jointly made a decision that, um, uh, that, it, that it was good for, for me to try and direct the company going forward. Um, and to be clear, Jean's still on the board. And um, uh, again, I've learned a tremendous amount from him. I'm supported by an incredible executive team, an incredible director of engineering, a great head of product, uh, great operational people. So I'm not in this alone, um, nor am I in this any differently than I was a few months ago. Uh, my focus in this company, as it has always been, is the same, and that is product, customers, fundraising, and enabling our team, right? The, the, my, my role and my job hasn't changed at all um, as we go forward. Yeah. Okay, uh, last one then, really. It's, it's from me. Um, did you do... Were you in business, were you an entrepreneur in the Netherlands before you moved to, the, to Silicon Valley or were you doing something else? No, so, so I, uh, I finished high school when I was 14 or so. Um, I was going to study physics in Delft, in the Netherlands, uh, but instead I decided to start a business. So I've been doing startups since I was 15. So I'm 29 now, so I've been doing startups for about 14 years, um, uh, six and a half, seven of which in the U.S., so okay. didn't go to college, didn't, didn't, didn't study for this stuff, uh, really learned about how to do things and how not to do things to trial and error. Uh, and I think right now <laughs> ended up with, with Flyer heavily driven by an incredible interest in travel and in the travel space um, and wanting to do something technologically advanced and, and business opportune uh, uh, with it. So that, that's really kind of like yeah, very, very different, very self-thought trial and error based. Okay, so definitely the last question this time then. So uh, you've been an entrepreneur in both of those then. So tell us, um, to wrap us up then, what is the one thing you miss about being an entrepreneur in the Netherlands? What's the one thing you like, dislike about being an entrepreneur in Silicon Valley? 
that's what you say. <laughs> question so okay so so i think let me let me start with the reason why i moved here and why it has proven to be the right decision i think that might to some extent answer the question um i've always tried and wanted to build things right build things think big try hard and even if it, even if it means failure and silicon valley has always been projected as this place where anything is possible and where all the conditions are right and the conditions being, you know, lots of smart people, an incredible network effect, um, capital to actually build the business. Um, so I packed my suitcase, came to Silicon Valley, and you know, we try my luck here. Um, I do have to give some credit to Ali Reza over at Plug and Play, uh, which is an acceleration and investment program down in Sunnyvale uh, in Silicon Valley. Yeah. He saw me on some YouTube video back in Europe, and he said, "Hey, Alex, you know, why don't you come over, spend three months with us?" Um, that was kind of a triggering moment for me to come here. And once I arrived here, uh, I quickly realized that all these like stories about the incredible network and the capital being available and being and smart people being in every corner in a coffee shop of the street was actually true. Right. That's not saying that there are no really smart people in Europe, but the ecosystem there to support entrepreneurs is still very heavily developing. Um, and everything tends to be a little bit slower pace. I don't like to slow down, right? I had a friend of mine ask me last, uh, last Monday, oh, hey, Alex, how are you spending Memorial Day? And I told him, well, Memorial Day, vacation days are great days to catch up and work, right? And so like, like I, 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 I and, and the speed and, the, and, the, and the, the, the force behind Silicon Valley is something to be reckoned with. And I really enjoy it. Obviously, there, there are limitations, right? Cost of living, cost of employment, um, uh, those are huge risks and huge costs to startups. And I, and I definitely think that there's a lot of opportunity being created by these work from home conditions from COVID-19 uh, going forward as people get more used to that. Um, but like just all the factors being right, all those components being available in excess in Silicon Valley is something that really attracted me and kept me here. Um, and especially for a business like Flyer, where it is extremely expensive to build the infrastructure to compete with these multi-billion dollar Amadeo Sabre pros type companies uh, in enterprise IT um, and having the, the ability to, you know, to deal with long sales cycles with an airline, right? They're slow, slow to move. Um, like I think Silicon Valley is the one place where, where we had those conditions to make that possible. And um, yeah, so that, that, that is definitely uh, uh, the reason why I came here, the reason why I stayed. And, a bit of a contrast with what you will find in Europe, where the ecosystem is still very heavily developing, um, uh, with the exception of some pockets uh, of, of, of startups that are doing really, really well. Okay. Alex Mans, that was great. Thank you. Um, thank you very much for uh, being with us this week on How I Got Here. Thank you so much. Okay, so uh, thank you everybody for tuning in. This is uh, How I Got Here. That is uh, Mosey and FocusWire's weekly podcast looking at uh, entrepreneurs and innovation in travel and transportation. You can find our podcast on all the uh, regular platforms. That's uh, Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts, and all the others as well. So iTunes, we're everywhere these days. So thanks ever so much, everybody, for tuning in. Thanks again to Alex, and that's thank you very much from uh, David and I. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to the How I Got Here podcast. 
We'll be back next week with more inside stories behind startups and innovation in travel and transportation. Check mozio.com slash move for a complete write-up of the highlights of every podcast with translations into five languages. And get your daily dose of news on the digital travel economy by subscribing to the newsletter at focuswire.com. See you next week.